Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God that we meditate upon this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And here we have the story of doubting Thomas, and we're going to see how, despite Thomas's failings and doubt, the grace of God enters into his life and the the seeing the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes him and gives him the power to, to live to Christ. John twenty nineteen to 31. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And therefore he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. After Jesus' ascension into heaven, the Apostle Thomas, like many of the other apostles, remained in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee for a time preaching the gospel to the Jews. But after a little while, he left, and even though it's not recorded in Scripture, church history has a pretty good indication that he did indeed go to India. If you open to the back of your bulletin, you can see some pictures there. The top left is a, is a map of some of the churches that church historians believe were begun, started by Thomas as he preached God's word along the, the, western, the southwestern coast of India there, churches which exist to this day. The top right is a picture of a cave in Chennai where many believe that Thomas spent a great deal of time praying to the Lord. The bottom left is Mount St. Thomas, uh, where it is believed that Thomas was martyred by a, a Hindu priest who stuck a spear through him. And then the bottom right is uh, Thomas Basilica, which is a, a church built on top of the grave where it is believed Thomas was buried. The point is that Thomas served the risen Lord 
very faithfully throughout his life. Yes, for a short while, for one week, he was doubting Thomas, but by the end, he was faithful Thomas. Yes, it was hard for him to believe at first that Jesus was risen from the dead, but by the end, he was willing to give his life in confession of faith, confessing that Jesus was indeed risen and preaching that gospel. One might say that Thomas went from zero to hero, right? That he went from an apostle who probably got an F for his ability and his performance to an A-plus apostle preaching the, the gospel even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so we well might ask, how? What was it that so completely changed Thomas's life and gave him the strength and the faith to go and even die in the remotest parts of India? You can go to any library today or any bookstore and find stacks and stacks of books that claim they will tell you the secret to changing your life, to becoming a better you, to reaching your full potential. Uh, the 12 steps or the 7 secrets or the 3 principles that are going to make your life full and successful. Or you could even go and spend lots of money listening to many motivational speakers who promise the same thing. And so we well might ask Thomas, what was his secret? What, how did you turn your life around? The answer, of course, is that Thomas did nothing. Jesus is the one who changed Thomas's life. Thomas was ready to write Jesus off as dead and in the grave and inconsequential to his life, but by his grace... And in his mercy, Jesus appeared to Thomas and gave to Thomas the proof that he needed to believe and to go forth. In his doubt, Thomas asked the Lord for help. And in the Lord's grace, Jesus gave it to him. Thomas is very much an example for us then as well, isn't he? He's not an example of what we, can what we can accomplish if we dot, 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 and you can fill in the sentence there with any uh, tips you think that somebody might come up with. He's not an example of what we can become by our power, but he is an example of what the power of Christ can do in the life of a sinful human being. Thomas asked, and the Lord responded. Now, I know that Thomas's words in our text might not really sound much like a request or a prayer, and they rather sound kind of pompous and demanding. Unless I see the print of his nails, unless I put my finger uh, into the, the nails and into his side, I will not believe. But here again we see the, the greatness of of God's grace and mercy, don't we? That even though his speech is filled with pride and arrogance and sinfulness, nevertheless, Jesus does respond to it and reveal himself to Thomas. God 
strips away the sinfulness from Thomas's prayer and gives Thomas what he needs, that vision of his resurrection. Jesus did the same thing for Adam and Eve in the garden. If you remember way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God came walking in the cool of the evening, and God came calling Adam and Eve to repentance. He, he was calling them out of hiding. He was calling them to reveal themselves and to confess their sins. Adam and Eve's response is not exactly what we would classify as a good confession, was it? Rather than coming out and admitting their sin and trusting in Jesus for forgiveness, they came out and started blaming each other. Adam said, Eve, she made me do it. And Eve said, the serpent, he made me do it. Nevertheless, even if it's not a very good confession, it was a confession because if you blame somebody else, if you say, that person made me do it, you are admitting at least that what you did was wrong. And once again, God in his grace kind of strips away the sinfulness and responds as if it were the a great confession, the confession of a saint. He assures Adam and Eve of their forgiveness and even promises them the coming of the Messiah. Just like Thomas, just like Adam and Eve, God often strips away the sinfulness that couches and hides many of our requests as well and responds in his grace to the underlying need. In the story of Thomas as well as Adam and Eve, we see the truth of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8 when he says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us before the Father with groanings, with words that we don't know how to express. There may be that there was a time in your life when in anger or in confusion you expressed yourself in a way that wasn't very loving or wasn't very clear, and perhaps you had a friend or a, or a spouse or a sibling who stood up for you and said, oh, they didn't mean it like that. What they really meant was this. And that's exactly what Paul tells us the Holy Spirit does for us before God. In our sinfulness, in our, in our agony, in our suffering, in our confusion, we often approach God in a very sinful way, and yet the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and He strips away that sinful attitude and presents the underlying need for our God, before our God. And God looks on our prayers, and because of Christ also, does not see the sin but rather sees that, that tiniest spark of confession, that, that smallest spark of faith, that itsy-bitsy particle of, of faith. As Jesus said, that, that faith, is, even if it's as small as a, as a mustard seed, and answers that underlying need. So Thomas asked imperfectly, to be sure. He asked filled with sin, but in his grace, the Lord responded, here you go, Thomas. Here is my, my, the holes in my hands and the hole in my side. Do not doubt anymore, but believe. Jesus responds to that request. 
And here we understand, this is the, the way in which we have to understand, and in which we do understand all of those many passages in which Jesus encourages us to do this exact thing, to, to come to Him, to ask Him to pray to Him. This is the true meaning of those passages, such as John 16.24, when Jesus tells us, ask and you will receive in order that your joy may be full. And we see that in the life of Thomas, don't we? He, he did ask, again imperfectly, but he did ask, and he did receive a life filled with joy. Now Thomas's life is not one that we would think of as necessarily being filled with happiness and joy. He was penniless, he was wandering in, in India, he was uh, living and praying in the cave that you saw the picture of in your bulletin, and he was martyred there on that that mountain killed with a spear through his heart. That's not exactly what we would call a full, joyful life. Yet nevertheless, it's very evident that his life was indeed filled with joy, with the joy of knowing that his Savior was risen from the dead. And it was that, that joy, that knowledge of Christ's resurrection and that he too would rise that went with him uh, throughout his travelings and by which he spoke powerfully the, the joy of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. Ask, and he, he did ask, and he did receive in order that his joy also was full. Or Matthew 17.20, where Jesus says to us that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will be tossed into the midst of the sea. Again, we see this fulfilled in Thomas's life, don't we? There was that mountain, not a physical mountain, but that mountain of doubt, which stood before Thomas and prevented him from believing and trusting in the Lord that mountain that stood before him in his prayer that the Lord would give him the strength to believe, seemingly impossible from a human standpoint, and yet the power of Christ, the power of the risen Christ, appeared to him and removed that mountain of doubt so that he believed faithfully. With faith as small as a mustard seed, barely even there in Thomas's case, right? He'd written Jesus off completely, yet enough tiny though it may be, enough for Jesus to use uh, to and bring it to a full flame. Or again, John 14, 12, where Jesus says, He who believes in me, greater works than these will he do. Greater works than the works of Christ. Now, there are many stories about Thomas doing miracles in his preaching in India, but that's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? The greater work which Thomas did was the preaching of the Gospel. Yes, Jesus calmed the storm and even raised the dead to life, but through Thomas, the Gospel went not only to India, but also to the entire East. Yeah, Thomas probably died in Chennai on that mountain, but through his preaching of the gospel in India, it very quickly went uh, through others from India to China and even to Japan so that the gospel and churches were established in Japan very soon after the time of the apostles. And the, the Europeans were very much surprised when they finally got to Japan and opened trade routes to Japan in, what, the 1700s? to find that there were already Christians there. Christians who knew the name of St. Thomas. 
because through his efforts in India, the gospel went even to Japan. These are the greater works that Jesus was talking about, which Thomas did and many others did through faith in Christ. All of these passages here teach us that Jesus, when Jesus is telling us to ask, when Jesus is telling us that faith can move mountains, He's teaching us that He responds to that underlying need, not to the sinfulness, our sinfulness, which so often covers our prayers. Very often we come before God with what we think is our need, and God says, no, that's really not what you need, right? So we come before God and say, God, I really need more money. And God says, no, that's not really what you need, and that's not what I'm going to give you. Or we come to God and say, God, I really need a, a better spouse. Mine isn't really fulfilling what I think he should be or she should be. And God says, no, that's not really what you need either. Or we come to God and say, oh, I really need a better job. And again, God says, that's really not what you need. Instead, God teaches us to, to come to him and say, God, I, instead of money, more money, what I really need is contentment. And Jesus says, yes, that is what you need, and that is what I'm going to give you. And instead of a better spouse, what I really need is to learn forgiveness. And God says, yes, that is what you really need, and that's what I'm going to give you. Or God, I really need help believing. I believe, but I also have a lot of doubt and God says, yes, that is what you need, and that is what I'm going to give you. So often we doubt God's promise, ask and you will receive, simply because God knows better what we need than we do. And we ask for the wrong thing, and God ignores the sinful thing and instead gives us the underlying need, just as he did for Thomas. This is what Jesus meant when he said that faith can move mountains, and when he said, ask and you will receive that he will indeed open our hearts like he did for Thomas to, to see the truth of his resurrection and through the power of that resurrection to change our lives, to give us what we truly need. This is what Thomas prayed for in our text. God, I need your help. My faith is weak. And this is what Jesus responded to in his grace, saying yes, that is something you need, and I will give it to you. Like our prayers, his prayer was very imperfect and covered with sin, but nevertheless, by his grace, God wiped away that sin and responded to that underlying need, changing Thomas's life forever, and he can do the same for us as well. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.